Chapter Seven of Ormond by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. King Corney sat for some minutes after Sir Ulick's departure, perfectly still and silent, leaning both hands and his chin on his crutch. Then, looking up at Harry, he exclaimed, "What a dupe you are! But I like you the better for it." i am glad you like me the better at all events said harry but i don't think i am a dupe no if you did you would not be one so you don't see that it was and is sir ulick and not her ladyship that wanted and wants to get rid of you no harry did not see this and would not be persuaded of it he defended his guardian most warmly he was certain of sir ulick's affection he was sure sir ulick was incapable of acting with such duplicity his majesty repeated at every pause you are a dupe but i like you the better for it and added he you don't blind buzzard as your want of conceit makes you for which i like you the better too you don't see the reason why he banished you from castle hermitage you don't see that he is jealous of your rivalling that puppy marcus his son rivalling marcus in what or how with whom boy is the question you should ask and in that case the answer is dunce can't you guess now miss annalee miss annalee repeated harry with genuine surprise and with a quick sense of inferiority and humiliation oh sir you would not be so ill-natured as to make a jest of me i know how ignorant how uninformed what a raw boy i am marcus has been educated like a gentleman more shame for his father that couldn't do the same by you when he was about it but marcus sir there ought to be a difference marcus is heir to a large fortune i have nothing marcus may hope to marry whoever he pleases ay whoever he pleases and who will that be if women are of my mind muttered corney i'll engage if you had a mind to rival him rival him the thought of rivalling my friend never entered my head but is he your friend said cornelius as to that i don't know he was my friend and i loved him sincerely warmly he has cast me off i shall never complain never blame him directly or indirectly but don't let me be accused or suspected unjustly i never for one instant had the treachery presumption folly or madness to think of miss annalee nor she of you i suppose you'll swear nor she of me assuredly not sir said harry with surprise at the idea do you consider what i am and what she is well i am glad they are gone to england out of the way said cornelius i am very sorry for that said harry for i have lost a kind friend in lady annalee one who at least i might have hoped would have become my friend if i had deserved it might have hoped would have become that's a friend in the air who may never be found on earth if you deserved it murder who knows how that might turn out if 
i don't like that kind of subjunctive mood tenure of a friend give me the good imperative mood which i understand be my friend at once or not at all that's my mood none of your if friends for me setting out with a proviso and an excuse to be off and maybe when you'd call upon em at your utmost need oh i said if you deserve it lie there like a dog now what kind of a friend is that if lady annalee is that sort no need to regret her my compliments to her and a good journey to england ireland well rid of her and so are you too my boy but dear sir how you have worked yourself up into a passion against lady annalee for nothing it's not for nothing i've good reason to dislike the woman what business had she because she's an old woman and you a young man to set up preaching to you about your faults i hate preachers feminine gender especially she is no preacher i assure you sir how dare you tell me that was not her letter very edifying sir ulick said no sir it was very kind will you read it no sir i won't i never read an edifying letter in my life with my eyes open nor never will quite enough for me that impertinent list of your faults she enclosed you that list was my own not hers sir i dropped it under a tree well drop it into the fire now and no more about it pray after all harry for curiosity's sake what faults have you dear sir i thought you told me you knew them by heart i always forget what i learn by heart put me in mind and maybe i'll recollect as you go on well sir in the first place i am terribly passionate passionate true that is moriarty you are thinking of and i grant you that had like to have been a sad job you had a squeak for your life there and i pitied you as if it had been myself for i know what it is after one of them blind rages is over and one opens one's eyes on the wrong one has done and then such a cursed feel to be penitent in vain for that sets no bones you were blind drunk that night and that was my fault but my late vow has prevented the future and moriarty's better in the world than ever he was thanks to your goodness sir oh i wasn't thinking of my goodness little enough that same but to ease your conscience it was certainly the luckiest turn ever happened him the shot he got and so he says himself never think of that more in the way of penitence in the way of reformation though i hope i shall all my life said harry one comfort i have never been in a passion since but then a reasonable passion's allowable i wouldn't give a farthing for a man that couldn't be in a passion on a proper occasion i'm passionate myself reasonably passionate and i like myself the better for it i thought you said just now you often repented oh never mind what i said just now mind what i'm saying now isn't a red heat that you can see and that warms you better than a white heat that blinds you i'd rather a man would knock me down than stand smiling at me as cousin ulick did just now when i know he could have killed me he is not passionate he has the command of himself 
every feature under the courtier's regimen of hypocrisy harry ormond don't set about to cure yourself of your natural passions why this is rank methodism all methodism sir methodism sir don't contradict or repeat me methodism that the woman has brought you to the brink of and i warn you from it i did not know till now that your lady annalee was such a methodist no methodist shall ever darken my doors or lighten them either with their new lights new lights new nonsense for man woman or beast but enough of this and too much harry prince harry pull that bell a dozen times for me this minute till they bring out my old horse before it was possible that any one could have come upstairs the impatient monarch pointing with his crutch added run to the head of the stairs prince harry dear and call and screech to them to make no delay and i want you out with me so get your horse harry but sir is it possible are you able i am able sir possible or not cried king corney starting up on his crutches don't stand talking to me of possibilities when tis a friend i am going to serve and that friend as dear as yourself aren't you at the head of the stairs yet must i go and fall down them myself to prevent this catastrophe our young hero ran immediately and ordered the horses his majesty mounted or rather was mounted and they proceeded to one of the prettiest farms in the black islands as they rode to it he seemed pleased by harry's admiring as he could with perfect truth the beauty of the situation and the land which you are no judge of yet but you will is as good as it is pretty said king corney which i am glad of for your sake prince harry i won't have you like that donny english prince or king they nicknamed lackland no you shan't lack land while i have it to let or give i called you prince prince of the black islands and here's your principality call out my prime minister patmour i sent him across the bog to meet us at moriarty's here he is and moriarty along with him to welcome you patrick give prince harry possession with sod and twig here's the key from my own hand and i give you joy nay don't deny me the pleasure i've a right to it no wrong to my daughter if that's what you are thinking of a clear improvement of my own and she will have enough without it besides her betrothed white connell is a fat grazier who will make her as rich as a jew and anyway she is as generous as a princess herself but if it pains you so and weighs you down as i see it does to be under any obligation you shall be under none in life you shall pay me rent for it and you shall give it up whenever you please well we'll settle that between ourselves continued his majesty only take possession that's all i ask but i hope added he before we've lived a year or whatever time it is till you arrive at years of discretion you'll know me well enough and love me well enough not to be so stiff about a trifle that's nothing between friend and friend let alone the joke of king and prince dear harry 
the gift of this principality proved a most pernicious nearly a fatal gift to the young prince the generosity the delicacy with which it was made a delicacy worthy of the most polished and little to have been expected from the barbarian mock monarch so touched our young hero's heart so subjected his grateful spirit to his benefactor that he thenceforth not only felt bound to king corney for life but prone to deem everything he did or thought wisest fittest best when he was invested with his petty principality it was expected of him to give a dinner and a dance to the island so he gave a dinner and a dance and everybody said he was a fine fellow and had the spirit of a prince king corney god bless him couldn't go astray in his choice of a favourite long life to him and prince harry and no doubt there'd be fine huntin and shootin and coursin continually well was not it a happy thing for the islands when harry ormond first set foot on them from a boy twas easy to see what a man he'd be long may he live to reign over us the taste for vulgar praise grew by what it fed upon harry was in great danger of forgetting that he was too fond of flattery and too fond of company not the best he excused himself to himself by saying that companions of some kind or other he must have and he was in a situation where good company was not to be had then moriarty carroll was gamekeeper and moriarty carroll was always out hunting or shooting with him and he was led by kind and good feelings to be more familiar and free with this man than he would have been with any other in the same rank of life the poor fellow was ardently attached to him and repeated with delight all the praises he heard of master harry through the islands the love of popularity seized him popularity on the lowest scale to be popular among the unknown unheard-of inhabitants of the black islands could this be an object to any man of common sense any one who had lived in civilized society and who had had anything like the education of a gentleman the fact argue about it as you will the fact was as is here stated and let those who hear it with a disdainful smile recollect that whether in paris london or the black islands the mob are in all essential points pretty nearly the same it happened about this time that betty dunshockland was rummaging in her young lady's work-basket for some riband which she knew she might take to dress a cap that was to be hung upon a pole as a prize to be danced for at the pattern footnote patron probably an entertainment held in honour of the patron saint a festive meeting similar to a wake in england End of footnote. to be given next monday at ormond vale by prince harry prince harry was now standing by giving some instructions about the ordering of the entertainment betty in the meantime pursued her own object of the riband and as she emptied the basket in haste threw out a book which harry though not much at this time addicted to reading snatched impatiently eager to know what book it was 
it was one he had often heard of often intended to read some time or other but somehow or other he had never had time and now he was in the greatest possible hurry for the hounds were out but when once he had opened the book he could not shut it he turned over page after page peeped at the end the beginning and the middle then back to the beginning was diverted by the humour every irishman loves humour delighted with the wit what irishman is not and his curiosity was so much raised by the story his interest and sympathy so excited for the hero that he read on standing for a quarter of an hour fixed in the same position while betty held forth unheard about cap supper and pattern at last he carried off the book to his own room that he might finish it in peace nor did he ever stop till he came to the end of the volume the story not finishing there and breaking off in a most interesting part he went in search of the next volume but that was not to be found his impatience was ravenous mercy master harry cried mrs betty don't eat one up i know nothing at all at all about the book and i'm very sorry i tumbled it out of the basket that's all there is of it to be had high or low so don't be tormenting me any more out of my life for nothing but having seized upon her he refused to let her go and protested that he would continue to be the torment of her life till she should find the other volume betty when her memory was thus racked put her hand to her forehead and recollected that in the apple room there was a heap of old books harry possessed himself of the key of the apple room tossed over the heap of tattered mouldy books and at last found the precious volume he devoured it eagerly nor was it forgotten as soon as finished as the chief part of the entertainment depended on the characters it did not fade from his imagination he believed the story to be true for it was constructed with unparalleled ingenuity and developed with consummate art the character which particularly interested him was that of the hero the more peculiarly because he saw or fancied that he saw a resemblance to his own with some differences to be sure but young readers readily assimilate and identify themselves with any character the leading points of which resemble their own and in whose general feelings they sympathize in some instances harry as he read on said to himself i would not i could not have done so and so but upon the whole he was charmed by the character that of a warm-hearted generous imprudent young man with little education no literature governed more by feeling than by principle never upon any occasion reasoning but keeping right by happy moral instincts or when going wrong very wrong forgiven easily by the reader and by his mistress and rewarded at the last with all that love and fortune can bestow in consideration of his being a very fine fellow closing the book harry ormond resolved to be what he admired and if possible to shine forth an irish tom jones for this purpose he was not at all bound to be a moral gentleman nor as he conceived to be a gentleman at all 
not at least in the commencement of his career he might become accomplished at any convenient period of his life and become moral at the end of it but he might begin by being an accomplished blackguard blackguard is a harsh word but what other will express the idea unluckily the easiest points to be imitated in any character are not always the best and where any latitude is given to conscience or any precedents are allowed to the grosser passions for their justification those are the points which are afterwards remembered and applied in practice when the moral salvo sentences are forgotten or are at best but a feeble countervailing effect at six o'clock on monday evening the cap the prize cap flaming with red ribbons from the top of the pole streamed to the summer air and delighted the upturned eyes of assembled crowds upon the green below the dance began and our popular hero the delight of all the nymphs and the envy of all the swains danced away with one of the prettiest smartest most likely-looking lasses that ever appeared at any former patron she was a degree more refined in manner and polished in appearance than the fair of the black islands for she came from the continent of ireland she had the advantage of having been sometimes at the big house at castle hermitage she was the gardener's daughter peggy sheridan distinguished among her fellows by a nosegay such as no other could have procured distinguished more by her figure and her face than by her nosegay and more by her air and motions than even by her figure or her face she stepped well and stepped out she danced an irish jig to admiration and she was not averse from admiration village prudes perhaps might call her a village coquette but let not this suggest a thought derogatory to the reputation of the lively peggy she was a well-behaved well-meaning innocent industrious girl a good daughter a good sister and more than one in the neighbourhood thought she would make a good wife she had not only admirers but suitors in abundance harry ormond could not think of her as a wife but he was evidently more evidently this day than ever before one of peggy's admirers his heart or his fancy was always warmly susceptible to the charms of beauty and never well guarded by prudence he was now with his head full of tom jones prone to run into danger himself and rashly ready to hurry on an innocent girl to her destruction he was not without hopes of pleasing what young man of nineteen or twenty is he was not without chance of success as it is called with peggy what woman can be pronounced safe who ventures to extend to a young lover the encouragement of coquettish smiles peggy said innocent smiles sure meaning nothing but they were interpreted to mean something less would in his present dispositions have excited the hero who imitated tom jones to enterprise report says that about this time harry ormond was seen disguised in slouched hat and trusty footnote great coat 
wandering about the grounds at castle hermitage some swear they saw him pretending to dig in the garden and even under the gardener's windows seeming to be nailing up jessamine some would not swear but if they might trust their own eyes they might verily believe and could only that they would not take their oath to having seen him once cross the lake alone by moonlight but without believing above half what the world says candor obliges us to acknowledge that there was some truth in these scandalous reports he certainly pursued most imprudently pursued the chase of youth and beauty nor would he we fear have dropped the chase till peggy was his prey but that fortunately in the full headlong career of passion he was suddenly startled and stopped by coming in view of an obstacle that he could not overleap a greater wrong than he had foreseen at least a different wrong and in a form that made his heart tremble he reined in his passion and stood appalled in the first hurry of that passion he had seen nothing heard nothing understood nothing but that peggy was pretty and that he was in love it happened one evening that he with a rose yet unfaded in his hand a rose which he had snatched from peggy sheridan took the path towards moriarty carroll's cottage moriarty seeing him from afar came out to meet him but when he came within sight of the rose moriarty's pace slackened and turning aside he stepped out of the path as if to let mr ormond pass how now moriarty said harry but looking in his face he saw the poor fellow pale as death what ails you moriarty a pain i just took about my heart said moriarty pressing both hands to his heart my poor fellow wait you'll be better just now i hope said ormond laying his hand on moriarty's shoulder i'll never be better of it i fear said moriarty withdrawing his shoulder and giving a jealous glance at the rose he turned his head away again i'll thank your honour to go on and leave me i'll be better by myself it is not to your honour above all that i can open my heart a suspicion of the truth now flashed across ormond's mind he was determined to know whether it was the truth or not i'll not leave you till i know what's the matter said he then none will know that till i die said moriarty adding after a little pause there's no no one what's wrong with inside of a man till he is opened but alive moriarty if the heart is in the case only said ormond a man can open himself to a friend ay if he had a friend said moriarty i'll beg your honour to let me pass i am able for it now i am quite stout again then if you are quite stout again i shall want you to row me across the lake i am not able for that sir replied moriarty pushing past him but said ormond catching hold of his arm aren't you able or willing to carry a note for me as he spoke ormond produced the note and let him see the direction to peggy sheridan sooner stab me to the heart again cried moriarty breaking from him sooner stab myself to the heart then cried ormond 
tearing the note to bits look moriarty upon my honour till this instant i did not know you loved the girl from this instant i'll think of her no more never more will i see her hear of her till she be your wife wife repeated moriarty joy illuminating but fear as instantly darkening his countenance how will that be now it will be it shall be as happily as honourably listen to me moriarty as honourably now as ever can you think me so wicked so base as to say wife if no passion might hurry me to a rash but of a base action i'm incapable upon my soul upon the sacred honour of a gentleman moriarty sighed look continued ormond taking the rose from his breast this is the utmost that ever passed between us and that was my fault i snatched it and thus thus cried he tearing the rose to pieces i scatter it to the winds of heaven and thus may all trace of past fancy and folly be blown from remembrance amen said moriarty watching the rose-leaves for an instant as they flew and were scattered out of sight then as ormond broke the stalk to pieces and flung it from him he asked with a smile is the pain about your heart gone now moriarty no please your honour not gone but a quite different better but worse so strange with me i can't speak rightly for the pleasure has seized me stronger than the pain lean against me poor fellow oh if i had broken such a heart then how wrong i was when i said that word i did said moriarty i ask your honour your dear honour's pardon on my knees for what for what you have done no wrong no but i said wrong very wrong when i said stab me to the heart again oh that word again it was very ungenerous noble fellow said ormond good night to your honour kindly said moriarty how happy i am now said our young hero to himself as he walked home which i never should have been if i had done this wrong a fortunate escape yes but when the escape is owing to good fortune not to prudence to good feeling not to principle there is no security for the future ormond was steady to his promise toward moriarty to do him justice he was more than this he was generous actively perseveringly generous in his conduct to him with open heart open purse public overture and private negotiation with the parents of peggy sheridan he at last succeeded in accomplishing moriarty's marriage ormond's biographer may well be allowed to make the most of his persevering generosity on this occasion because no other scrap of good can be found of which to make anything in his favour for several months to come whether tom jones was still too much and lady annalee too little in his head whether it was that king corney's example and precepts were not always edifying whether this young man had been prepared by previous errors of example and education 
or whether he fell into mischief because he had nothing else to do in these black islands certain it is that from the operation of some or all of these causes conjointly he deteriorated sadly he took to vagrant courses in which the muse forbears to follow him End of chapter seven